Hello and welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. This week we're joined by a multiple race winner in both petrol and electric powered cars. He's raced at Le Mans and currently competes in Formula E where he joins a new team for Season 7, Mahindra Racing. Yes, Alexander Sims is our guest this week and the all-important question will be... Can he beat his boss, Dilbag Gill, in the hardest quiz in motorsport? Well, you'll have to listen to find out. I was actually ill for this episode, just a cold, but I was replaced. I'll be back, don't you worry though. In the meantime, I'll let Tim tell you who had the honour of filling in. Welcome to the latest episode of the Motormouth podcast. Before we introduce today's guest, I need to head not to Essex this week, as my usual co-host Harry is laid up in bed with an illness, so we wish him well. However, what this means is that I need to head to Leicestershire to our guest host and come up with some new facts and I don't like to disappoint so it might interest you to know that Leicester is the first city to have a local radio station the first broadcast from BBC Radio Leicester was back in 1967 it included the first local radio jingle followed by the Lord Mayor of Leicester as a guest but that is not what's important about Leicestershire today no it's the home of the person jumping into Harry's ample shoes Welcome to my special guest co-host, racing driver, trans and LGBTQ plus pioneer, all-round good egg and former podcast guest, Charlie Martin. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for such a warm welcome onto the show. It's great to be stepping in for Harry this uh, this evening and, and, yeah, filling his ample shoes, as you say. I hope he's doing okay the moment. On the but, other side of the microphone as well. So is, is this a new experience for you? Do you? Have you done this sort of thing before? I've not. No, I'm flying by the seat of my pants Perfect. right now. Perfect. So, yeah. No, we're, all, we're all about that. And uh, you've just got back from quite an important race where you did rather well, a race where our guest uh, also took part. Um, how was your, uh, your experience over there in the wet? It was pretty hair-raising at times, I'll be honest. Uh, I had a fantastic you know, um, time really. Competing in the Nürburgring 24 hours is definitely the highlight of my career so far. And as we, as the race goes, I mean, it was very, very wet, but I feel like we had a a sort of the, 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 uh, the diet version, perhaps the Nürburgring, because it was, uh, we lost nearly eight hours driving due to a red flag over the evening session. So God. I actually got to go back to my bed and, and have five hours sleep. Which Winning. I understand is not the normal thing for a 24-hour race. No, so, that, that's uh, not the done thing at all, is it? And and you yeah. very nearly got yourself on the podium. Very nearly. One step away, we came fourth, which was a, a fantastic result for my first first ever 24-hour race. I was absolutely thrilled. It's and a not even a effort. scratch on the car either. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's quite a result after uh, quite a lot of sideways moments. I can I can tell you that definitely. Very. I think good I felt more effort. like a rally driver going around the north side this last few days. Now listen, shall I introduce today's guest? I think you should. So this is the fifth time we've had a Formula E driver on the show. And add to that the Formula E presenters, we're slowly working our way through the entire grid and broadcast team. However, 
That doesn't take away from our excitement of having Alexander Sims on the podcast today. He's a former McLaren Autosport BRDC Young Driver of the Year. He's raced in Formula 3, GP3, LMP2, GTs all over the world before finding himself in Formula E. And he's about to take up a seat with Mahindra for Season 7. The man's a serial winner and even a world record holder, having driven from John O'Groats to Land's End in an electric car with the shortest charging time, making him our first official record breaker. Remarkable. We're delighted to have him here. Alexander Sims, welcome to the Motormouth Podcast. Thank you very much, Tim. Thank you for having me. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Alex. How are you? Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, all very good. Thank you. All good. Um, yeah, like you, actually, relatively fresh considering it's uh, just come back from uh, a yeah, 24 hour race at Nürburgring. But um, yeah, all good. All very, very good. Where, where are you joining us from today? Are you, uh, are you back from the Nürburgring or are you still over in Germany? Yeah, no, I'm back home now and uh, just put the kids to bed. So, um, yeah, back to normal, <laughs> basically. Doing the dad uh, stuff. It's, it's uh, yeah, back, I, I live just south of Birmingham, um, near Ulster, out in the countryside. So, um, How many yeah. kids have you got? got three boys. Oh, my word. So I've got two boys and uh, one relatively new girl, and the two boys are complete chaos, so I don't envy you having three. Is your house a complete madhouse? Uh, it's pretty mental, yeah, as you would expect. Yeah, <laughs> they're five, three, and one. Wow. Um, so all, yeah, pretty young and, and lovely, but have their challenges as well yes <laughs> I, I feel your pain completely now listen take take us back to the start um where did you get the racing bug from when when did it show itself for the first time um well it's a bit of a strange one actually um because i never really had a racing bug you know i never had a massive desire to to go racing to be quite honest uh, as a young boy um when i was 10 i think i tried out karting for the first time um, because my brother had done some cadet karting and then decided he wanted to go off to boarding school. So um, then it was my turn. And yeah, it was all right. It was good fun. But but to be honest, nothing nothing much more than that. I just, you know, was a bit of an airhead when I was, well, I still am an airhead, but, you know, I was definitely an airhead when I was young. And it was just like, yeah, that's pretty cool, buzzing around the track and uh, having, a, having a laugh. But um, it was sort of took a bit of time to snowball into something more and more serious. And, and that's, yeah, I guess when I was sort of 14, 15 years old, that's when it um, started to, to hit home that, you know, that this could be, could um, be a career, a career as such, if I was able to, to continue working. Hard. 10 years old is relatively old for someone to start karting um, compared to a lot of the, the people that we've had on the show. Some, some of them, in, I can't remember who we had recently, who was six when they got in their first go-karts mm -hmm. presumably you can um you have some sort of recollection or memory of those days when you were sort of 10 11 years old jumping into a car did you feel back then even though it wasn't necessarily something you thought you would pursue did you think i'm i know i'm quick at this straight away or, or was there a bit of a uh, a lead-up time before you realized that you were actually quite good at it um it, well, it definitely wasn't immediate i do remember being asked by my dad on the way back from wigan kart track like seriously, Alexander, do you actually enjoy doing this? Because we, I don't know, come third from last in the B final or something um, in my first year, and it's funny. I, I look back on that. That's the moment that sticks out anyway. That I just, I didn't even love it. I would say I, just, I quite enjoyed it, and me being a yeah 
10, 11-year-old kid, I was like, yeah, it's all right. I'm happy to keep going, Dad, you know. Um, and, yeah, looking back, actually, that probably made quite a, a clear decision as to pursuing it for another year. And then the, the following year, things did start to go quite well. Um, but, yeah, it could have been over before it pretty much started. Would you say there was a particular moment or, or something that happened that really made you think, actually, wow, yeah, you know, this is this is something that I've got to pursue? Or was it just a grad, more of just a gradual thing? Or? It was it, certainly in my karting days. It was just a gradual thing, to be honest. Um, there was there were two standout moments, but they they happened later on um, in in my career as such one was breaking my arm um, I had a, a fairly serious arm break uh, when skiing and I was out of racing for about nine months um, oh. and that really hit home once I could go back and, and I did karting that, so I was 17 when I broke my arm um, and racing at like in the world championships and European championships in karting and then when I could actually get back to it it made me think I'm getting a second chance here you know I was, it was a Serious injury. Um, Almost like that thing of, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder when you suddenly can't yeah, do it. Absolutely. absolutely. Getting back into the cart was, must have been an amazing feeling. It yeah. was, it was. Um, and it was it was just around the time when, you know, 17, 18, you, you want to start spending more time with your friends, go to bars and clubs and start, you know, being a bit of a, do the standard crazy thing. Um, and yeah, it just happened kind of at the right time for me to actually rein myself in and and, and focus. Um, and yeah, the other the other fairly pivotal moment was winning the McLaren Autosport Young Driver Award. But Yeah, um, yeah. fairly life-changing yeah. experience for some. At that point, when you're sort of 17, 18 years old, and like you say, people are starting to go off to bars and restaurants and clubbing and, you know, doing all the all the things that people do at that sort of age. Did you do that as well? Or did you make a sort of conscious decision to knuckle down, forget all that and just focus on racing? Well, I, I did do it a bit, yes. Um, inevitably, you know, when, when you've got weekends off and you're in the summer holidays after sixth form's finished, you know, all your mates are going out every, well, every day basically but you know certainly on a few occasions I'd go out and have a blast and, and a lot of fun with them but um yeah it would have been flow you know depending on my racing commitments but there was always a very clear uh, difference in my mind between the times when I was free and it wasn't even close to a race weekend and yes I could let myself go and go crazy and do all the, the, the sort of normal drinking and, and dancing and all that stuff. But um, then it was, yeah, very, very clear to me that when you're getting close to a race weekend, then that was of absolute importance and um, I would never let anything get in the way. Yeah, you had that separation. Well, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, you've just come back from the same event as Charlie. Um, sorry, Charlie. Um Alex won it. I know you, you nearly got a podium, but Alex won it. So did, did you, on after the race, were you too knackered to go out and let your hair down a little bit? Or, or was there was there time and, and energy left to uh, go and have a few beers? Uh, well, on this occasion, actually, there, there was, yeah. Because like, like Charlie, I got um, five hours, six hours sleep even, I think, um, which was... Yeah, it's totally unheard of, of in my experience of 24-hour races anyway. Um, and so, yeah, come Sunday evening, once we'd, we'd won, uh, we did get back to the bar and 
stayed up till yeah one or two in the morning or something, having a good few drinks for the team. Um, so it's a massive race for the team as well, to be honest. Rover, they have sponsored events around the Nordschleife for, for many years and they've raced there, uh, I think, for eight or nine years now. Um, and so to finally get a win was was huge for them as well. So, uh, yeah, all, yeah, we had a meal with 60-odd people on separate tables, but um, all celebrating together. Where, where did you go out for dinner? Oh, at the Lidna. So it's just okay. the, the hotel <clears throat> at the track. Um but there was basically just us there anyway, so it was it was nice. It was nice. Did you manage to go out, Charlie, and uh, and paint the town red? Uh, I, d- I didn't paint the town red completely, but yeah, I did go out with um, the last few races. I've uh, I've shared an apartment with one of my teammates, and uh, he's great fun. So we we met up with uh, with a crew chief and his his wife. And the four of us had uh, a nice meal and quite a few drinks. And yeah, it, actually, my crew chief said normally he's so shattered at that point in the evening yeah. that his head is literally pretty much in his dinner. Yeah. Um, someone trying to prod him to, to stay awake. And he said, yeah, I've never, never ever done a 24-hour race and felt so alert at the end of it. Yeah, so bit of a bit was... of a reprieve. Um, now, listen, Alex, the dream when you were going through the, the junior categories... Um, presumably at that stage, the dream was Formula One as Formula E was, I suppose, yet to show itself. What, what was the plan? Once you realised this was your career, what was, what was the end game? Um, well, I mean, yeah, when I was in, um, in junior single-seaters, certainly Formula One was, was the aim. Um, but... Uh, a certain Valtteri Bottas put end to that dream, um, being my teammate and just showing me that I actually wasn't good enough uh, <laughs> in Formula 3 and then in GP3. Um, that's close, but <laughs> yeah, he was better, hands down. So fair play to him. And I'm just glad that he's gone on to be pretty good because <laughs> that's feel at better. least given me some, uh, some, some consolation. But um, yeah, things, I guess, changed really in terms of my ambitions once you realize that you can't achieve your your goal as such um you reassess the situation and then it was um yeah i think i I went through a very standard procedure where or process that single-seater drivers go through where you're very naive and sort of blasé to the wider world of motorsports you know when you're doing the formula renault formula three formula two journey um and I, I just wasn't aware of how vast motorsport was, you know, in, in all sorts of different other categories. So um, then I opened my eyes to sort of endurance racing and, and tried out, yeah, LMP2 and did some GTs with the McLaren um, where I'd got some contacts from from winning the, the award previously. Um, and, yeah, started off a, an awesome journey, to be honest, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it and could, couldn't really have asked for, for much more in terms of actually falling in love with motorsport again because when I was in junior single seaters it was um it was all about ultimate performance and you know if I dropped half a tenth on the lap time I'd I'd be disappointed and you know unhappy with myself and, and just couldn't get too much enjoyment from it um whereas now going through through endurance racing being with other drivers in a car sharing a car that's proper camaraderie you know, you're working for a manufacturer for a brand where there's, you know, 
100, 200 people in the entire organization working for the same thing. And it's, uh, it's a phenomenal feeling. So, um, yeah, very, very pleased with, with how it's gone. And, um, yeah, I mean, Formula E became my ultimate goal uh, when, when I heard it was announced um, as, a, as a championship whatever it would have been seven years ago now I guess yeah because yeah a few years before that I'd actually started to get interested in, in electric cars myself on the road um, and had been driving an electric car for a few years is that um, is that because of what? is that because of sustainability reasons or did you just prefer that kind of feeling while you were driving or you know when formula e came along did you think this is perfect this is and it's something that's interesting to me because of the right reasons yes i mean i I became interested in electric cars yes uh, through my general interest in in sustainability um it started off with just renewable energy um i just saw the simplicity of solar panels and i was just like well it's so simple like why why isn't it, isn't it more mainstream? You know, just have a simple panel there and you get electricity. You don't have to burn anything. You don't have to do anything that uh, involves extracting stuff from the ground or anything. But um, yeah, then then got interested in transportation and got fed up of filling my, my car up with petrol. And uh, yeah, one of those things, you know, one thing led to another over a few years and, and then got an electric car. But um, all the time... And then to be fair, even, you know, just this weekend gone, you know, I'm driving a petrol powered race car, but, and so it's not like it's, yeah. uh, there's a sudden switch where you can just go f- from not doing one thing to, to only the next, you know, with, with electric cars, but it, we're in a transition process. And, um, as soon as I was interested in electric cars and Formula E came about, then, um, obviously that's the, the way to, was a clear way to, to pair my passions of yes, yeah, sustainability and motorsport in one. And it seemed like there may have been a chance in season one, season two with Formula E um, with different teams, but then nothing came about. And um, honestly, I thought the the single-seater sort of dream or path was was finished. You know, I was getting older and older and getting more and more ingrained in GT racing. Um, And then... A little bit out of the blue, actually. It was it was slightly <laughs> bizarre timing because I'd just done Le Mans 24 hours with BMW. Um, I actually shunted, so <laughs> I thought like I was in the doghouse. But then a week and a half later, I got a call saying actually we'd like you to do Formula E. So um, that was a pretty nice phone call to get um, to actually make that that dream a reality. And yeah, here I am now going into my third season. It's crazy. I, I really wanted to ask you, actually, because in, in, in a strange way, I've, I, I've been driving your Formula E car in the virtual world this I summer. I did see, yes, I did see Charlie, yes. Racing in the ABB Formula E Race at Home Challenge. And uh, yeah, it was, you know, a really, really interesting experience for me. I mean, just on the one level, competing with pro sim racers, uh, but also getting the, my first a virtual taste of what it's like to drive a Formula E car. What I mean, it's something I'd love to try in the real world. But I mean, what what what's your experience been like? What would you say is some of the biggest challenges of driving a Formula E car compared to, say, a, a conventional single seater with a petrol engine? Yeah, Formula E is tough. Um, it's really tough, and um, I mean, I struggled on in the, the race at home challenge as well. So um, 
I, I would not like to give any advice in terms of driving the simulator side of things. But um, in terms of the real car, uh, something that I... I, um, I mean, how did you find always, it compared to the real car? Did you find there was quite a similarity or was it... Um, like- uh, there, there, I mean, there were some similarities, yes, I would say, but... Um, I don't know. I, I just massively struggle on simulators because there's no movement. You can't actually feel what mm. the car's doing. You're relying purely on steering torque and um, seeing what the car's doing as such. And I'm terrible with understeer in the real car. And in a simulator, I think it seems like you've got to over overwork the front tire to keep the front tire working the whole, t- whole way through the corner, whereas in the real world you know the front can be slightly under the limit if you've got a strong front and, and you can be balancing the rear tire mm-hmm. on the limit but um yeah i just couldn't do that and so i wasn't wasn't particularly good but i guess the one similarity was that in, in formula e compared to most other race cars there's quite a tendency to have a reasonably long rolling phase of the corner where you're not braking and not putting the throttle on uh-huh um and that did seem to transfer a bit over onto the simulator. But, um, yeah, that's just like one of the things in Formula E where you actually start to think about your driving from an efficiency point of view, not just mm. from pure lap time, which you've, I, I had done, you know, my, my entire career. You know, you never really think about how can I drive more efficiently mm. and use less energy during the lap. You just drive how you drive, right? Uh-huh. And if you yeah. gain half a tenth, you gain half a tenth, whether you use up, Point two liters more over a lap or, or, or less, no one really minds. Even in endurance racing, to be honest, you know, if you're faster, you're faster and they'll take the lap time every time. But um, yeah, the, the, in the end, actually, the, I would say with Formula E, the, it's, it's a bit strange in, in that the fact that it's electric is probably not the biggest difference between Formula E and other, other racing series. Um, I mean, the, the fact that it's electric does follow on to other things but like the the energy side of the race you could do that in a conventional car by just massively restricting the fuel allowed you know you you could say for a formula three race right you're actually only allowed to use seven liters of fuel um where a flat out race would need 15 say and then suddenly some of this sort of energy saving philosophy would come in so um the the way the rules are created has a massive impact on on the racing itself but uh i'd say the biggest difference is the tire um between formula e and other other racing series you know the treaded tire that we have because it's all weather it's a tire that's designed to work in both the wet and the dry and michelin have done a pretty good job of of designing it because um it's it's very good in the dry and still pretty good in the wet as well but uh it's got a very low operating temperature. And so that's why in qualifying, you see people crawling around in hot races on the outlap and barely stressing the tire because you just don't want to put any energy into it. Um, because on 250 kilowatts over one lap, you overwork the rear tire. Yeah, I mean, if I you go that from in nothing. Sim- in the semi, it's just so much torque, isn't it? You could just, you just light the back of the car up like, Absolutely. like, like nothing. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so that's really the 
the biggest thing because in the end it's the same as every racing series and that is in the tire is the only thing that connects you to the ground and so you've got to get the tire working as best as possible and when it's got such unique characteristics that we we have in Formula E it's very difficult to to sort of make make sure you're optimizing it all of the time so I'd say yeah understanding the tire is is still our biggest challenge how, how much of the how much of the race are you actually going at it you know hardcore like it'd be, it'd be amazing to see a race series one day where the driver's just allowed to go flat out um for the entire race obviously in formula one you have to manage tires and various other things formula e like you say you, you have to almost coast at some points to to manage your energy how much of it is about that and can you really go hell for leather at points and just just go nuts and just pour all that energy down onto the track or is is it is it a case of you really got to manage that energy throughout the entire race well in the race yeah you've got to manage the energy a lot in formula e. um but i i definitely like to stress that the fact that we're managing energy a lot coasting for for long periods and regening a lot it's not a negative. I mean, it's, it, I totally understand that maybe it sounds like, you know, you're not using up the full potential of the car, of the motor, you know, not reaching as, as, as high top speeds as you could. But last season, um, when the rule, or sorry, now that season six is finished, it's two seasons ago, I guess. But um, in season five, when we had uh, different rules where under full cross yellow and safety car, you didn't get an energy reduction, what would happen was that because you're, slow laps behind safety car are so efficient and you use such such a small amount of energy the remaining laps would be close to if not completely flat out and then it just neutralizes everything and there's no strategy in the race anymore and just it's just follow the leader yeah um and it became boring so i i really see with formula e the the fact that you have to manage your energy is a real positive um it creates so much racing potential um so many people can decide what to do with their energy when to use it to try and be aggressive at the start and overtake people knowing that they're going to be at an an energy deficit later on have to defend you know it's uh it's really fascinating so um yeah it's 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 one of those actually when we go to some of the tracks which are tighter and have shorter straights and we're not doing as much energy saving it almost feels a bit bit of a cop-out and a bit rubbish you know we want the long open straights where you have to save a lot uh, like berlin like marrakesh like these mexico city um because it just it just creates awesome racing yeah now that, that's a really interesting um perspective some, some really nice insight now you mentioned berlin there um berlin pretty crazy six races in nine days for the end of season six what was it like being a driver during that period? It must have been quite a unique set of scenarios for you to suddenly find yourself in so many races in quick succession. Were you completely exhausted? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the the biggest problem for me was that I was just uncompetitive in Berlin for some reason. So then I was um, rather disappointed that we had six races in a row because um, we didn't have enough time to sort out our problems. But uh, it was a very strange environment, I've got to be honest. Um, All of us arrived early, had our our COVID tests and then had to stay within the confines of the hotel or racetrack the whole time, um, which for a few days is is okay. But, you know, after 10, 12 days, 
um, when you include the the days beforehand and the days in between races, uh, it it starts to be um, kind of claustrophobic, I guess. Um, what kind of things did you do to take your mind off the boredom? Did you end up doing any kind of strange uh, little little tricks? Or I don't know. No, I mean, uh, to be honest, we didn't have a huge amount of spare time. Um, mm. It was it was really just the, the first two days when we arrived, um, and then had to just stay in our hotel room for whatever it was thirty odd hours um, to to get the results of the tests to make sure that we were all negative. Um, that was the the strangest but beyond that we were you know at least we could go to the track and and do our work and so even on the days off I'd I'd go to the track and we had a lot to try and work through and and change to turn around our performance so I was I was very busy with that but um yeah the 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 worst thing actually was we had to pre-order our food before the the two weeks and it seemed simplest for me at the time to just say, oh, I'll have the same thing for lunch and dinner. That's a terrible error. Well, after 12 days of eating two <laughs> meals the same for lunch and dinner every day, <laughs> it was it was disgusting. <laughs> you know, what was a very nice meal on the first day turned into being an, atro- an atrocious meal. I was just having to put food in my mouth and, and swig some water and, and gulp it down. And, and Can I ask what meal you chose? I can remember pretty well. It was you're not going to uh, forget, are you? <laughs> there was broccoli, chickpeas, Ooh. tuna, salad, and something else. He's, something he's else. He's blocked it remember. out of his mind. But um, yeah, I just remember it starting to become utterly grotesque. <laughs> <laughs> seen enough tuna to last your lifetime now listen um, yeah. after two seasons um, with BMW i Andretti I think I've said that correctly um, you've moved across to season seven to Mahindra um, how did that all come about what were the conversations that were had um, and, and an exciting move for you yeah it's very exciting um, it's, it's I've been with BMW for um, I think six or seven years now so um yeah it it certainly took me a little bit of time to um make sure I'm making the right decision um but yeah it all happened pretty much during lockdown um we had uh, started discussions in Marrakesh at the Formula E race there and then yeah with with quite a lot of time in lockdown it was it was a yeah it was a good time to be honest to to be able to reflect on on things and uh, consider consider the offers um, and yeah in the end uh, having spoken to Dilbag and seen where Mahindra sees himself moving in the future um, yeah it felt the right time for a change and a new new situation um, I haven't got a single bad word to say about BMW it, it wasn't about uh, you know anything to do with any of the the working relationships I've got with the guys? I've really full respect for everyone at BMW, um, and and really appreciate all the opportunities that they've given me over the years. But uh, yeah, just just one of those timings were what they were, and um, it seemed like a good opportunity to to take a different course. Do you think it's too early to? 
put down any expectations for season seven. I know it's very new in terms of the relationship with Mahindra. What are you hoping for season seven? It's it is too early to be honest. Yeah, I mean I've, I've driven the car once um, last week, just before going to Nurburgring, and yeah, I've done a couple of simulator sessions, and that's about it. So to, to be honest, at the moment, I'm still finding my feet with the team um, and the systems and things. But I think everyone at Mahindra would be the first to to admit that season six really didn't go as well as they'd hoped. They had some technical issues in, in the, the first few races where they then had to end up going back to their season five powertrain. Um, and so I don't think that was a, a very representative um, set of results that they've got. Um, I think we've got a, a lot more expectation and hope that things can go go better in season seven. But in terms of, you know, look, look, thinking about any hard clear results it's so difficult to know in Formula E it's such an up and down uh, championship with the way that qualifying format works you know you can do well to start with and then it it the the qualifying format makes it more and more difficult to to continue doing well basically um and yeah everyone except for Antonio did struggle in season six you know fair play to Antonio for for being head and shoulders above the rest but um yeah, yeah. I would hope that we'll have some races where we can be right up there, um, and beyond that, I, I don't know a huge amount. What What would you say is your favourite fixture in the, the Formula E calendar? Where's your your favourite track and, and why? Um, I would probably say. I mean, I guess there's two aspects in terms of the actual track itself. Um, and then the environments where the track is based, because you know, Formula E, we go to some amazing places. You know, I never imagined I'd be racing on the streets of Hong Kong or in Santiago, in, you know, in Chile, or you know, well, we were going to race in in London. You know, all these places. You know, you're so used to racing at conventional race circuits that are outside of cities. Um, not a huge, much huge amount around the racetrack. Um, and so I would probably say the most special place to race was actually in Hong Kong. Um, I like Hong Kong as a city a lot. And I've got a few friends there from, from school. So, yeah, that was, that was very special to, to race there. Um, but then as an actual track itself, I think probably Marrakesh, actually, I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And I think that fits really well with, with Formula E in terms of the amount of energy saving you have to do in the race. And it, it, uh, it creates some really interesting races. So, What's your favourite track, Charlie? Well, I'm trying to think where we, where we drove. I mean, um, the Monaco EP was quite good fun. Um, but we drove... Hong Kong, actually, was out of the ones that we drove uh, in the Race Home Challenge, I think Hong Kong was really good. Had some good, uh, had a good flow to it. I, I think coming from a non-Formula E circuit type background, um, it, it I found it quite difficult on some of the courses where they're really, you know, you, you they're so tight the corners mm-hmm. when you're having to drop down to first gear in the in the sim at least. It's so easy to just um, just get a big a big drift coming out of a corner. And I found in, in the Hong Kong track, you could just get into a good rhythm. And it was, uh, I think I had some of my best results there. But uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, 
I'm, I'm not so familiar with all of the tracks. So, but as you said, I mean, you get to go to so many amazing cities and, and race there. It must just be quite a, yeah, quite a fun championship to race in, I'm sure. Now, listen, this is, um, that that may well be the case, and I'm sure Hong Kong was fun, but there is a bigger highlight of your career to come, and that is the world-famous Motormouths, the uh, hardest quiz in motorsport. Alexander Sims, welcome to Motormouths. As I say, the hardest quiz in motorsport because no one really knows the answers. There's a very competitive leaderboard. Charlie here, our esteemed uh, co-host for the day, is in... 33rd place so I feel confident you'll beat Charlie um, some of your Formula E colleagues are on there with uh, Nick Cassidy the new EVR driver uh, in 21st Sebastian Buemi 19th uh, Ollie Rowland we have an 18th um, Edo Matara is 15th Brendan Hartley is 4th on the leaderboard but uh, right at the top you'll be interested to hear is your new boss Dilbag Gill is top of the leaderboard on an incredible 14 points Alexander Sims are you ready to play Motormouths? Yes Right I am Now listen I've given you a gimme for the first question if you get this wrong I'm ending the podcast now and we're all going home um, the, the first question is a radio transcript. It was not a transcript, it's, it's radio. All I need to know from you is where it was, what's the, what's the context, and what year was it? And you won't get this wrong. Oh I'm easing you in gently. Are you ready? Here it comes. Okay, Alex, quality page. Remember, break integral and pick up proper. Magnificent drive. You're in a Formula E race winner, mate. You can't get that wrong. Oh, God, when was that? There have been so many wins. Ah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh... Yeah, no, I think that was Diria. Yeah, well round done. two this yeah. of season six. Co- correct. <laughs> yes. By one and only win. Yes. yes. <laughs> I thought you'd remember that one. Um, well done. That is uh, three points. You'll be pleased to hear. So you are often running. Um, Brilliant, Charlie. I'm going to hand over to you for question number two. So question number two, you have a seat with uh, Mahindra for season seven, but how many points did the team finish season six with? And I need this the nearest five. Mm. Um, We've just ramped it up massively. With yeah, gosh. <laughs> I would say... Come on. 24. Oh, my God. Oh, you're miles away. You, you've you've, massive, you've massively undersold your new team there. <laughs> Do you want to have another... Um, I'll, I'll give you another stab at it. You can have within 10 points and I will give you... The points. If you if you get I don't know. I can't think of all the results that they got. Um <laughs> always struggling. Dilbag, are you listening? Yeah, don't listen. Don't listen. Um, 48. 48. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> 49. Okay. Good answer. I'm oh, sorry, I was thinking per driver. Tw- oh, that's what happened. That, 24 well, per driver. Well, in that Silly case, me. in that case, you get full points. <laughs> Question number three, and I'll take to the nearest, <laughs> to the nearest. What do you reckon? Oh, well, help me out. Help me ten, out. Ten thousand. I think, that, I think that's fair. Maybe 15. I'll see yeah. how generous I'm feeling. Harry's always super generous with this, so I'll, I'll see. You've how been I feel. very kind. Too. So, how many employees? does your new employer, Mahindra, oh, have across the business? And I'm not talking just the race team here. I'm yeah, talking the, the, group. the entire yeah. group. 
Oh my god. Um, I reckon I'll give you a clue actually. No, I won't. Two hundred and fifty thousand. Oh, you know, Jay. Did you know that? You didn't, did you just Google that? <laughs> no. That, that's. Abs- I, I think that was probably the research I did. That's absolutely bang on. Uh, during lockdown. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right on the money. Two hundred and fifty thousand. Awesome. Lucky, lucky Brilliant. Uh, Incredible. <laughs> didn't know about the team's points, but I do know about uh, the employees. Um, Charlie, over to you for question number four. Question number four. How old is Mahindra? Oh, God. Um, I'm loving that this is making him sweat. Yeah, I really should have thought about what this quiz might be about. Um, <laughs> I would... I don't know. I really don't know. We'll give you um, the nearest 10 years. 84 years old. 84? Oh, not, not far out. We'll take it. We'll take 70, it. 25. Okay, okay. I have to say that while I'm being incredibly generous here, you are on course to uh, go level with your boss. So (laughs) it's definitely going to beat me. You've already completely destroyed Charlie Martin, so don't don't worry about that. You gave me really hard questions. It was a lot harder than this, yeah. Um, Right, (laughs) your final question. This is a bonus question. And if you get this correct, you are top of the leaderboard with... Deal bag. Here we go. Your final question. Mahindra are the world's biggest manufacturer of what? Tractors. Oh! <laughs> Alexander Sims. Well, I think you're very uh, lenient there. I, I have been incredibly lenient there, and I'm only doing it so you look favourable in the eyes of your <laughs> new employers. But you are the um, now the highest-rated Formula E driver we've ever had, and you are top of the pile. We've had 40-odd people on there. Charlie's miles away, somewhere down the bottom. You're up there with Sorry, Gilbert. Charlie. Sorry. Just, you just buried me. Yeah, <laughs> completely. I know that's the highlight of your career. But while we're on career highlights, what, what's been your your biggest moment, whether it's Formula E or in another series? Um, what's been the, the standout moment in your career to date, do you think? Oh, wow. Um, I would probably say winning Spa 24 Hours back in 2016. Um, that was like the first big, big win I'd, I'd had in car racing. Um, and yeah, I honestly didn't think that it would happen so soon in, in my GT career. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty huge. And it sort of changed the course of my career to, to then become a proper works driver with BMW and everything that's, that's come after that has, has been not purely down to that result, but it was, it was certainly a, a fork in the road. So and to go in a different direction, what, what would you say? Has there been a, a you know a real a real low moment? You know, a moment when you feel like you've most kind of compromised plenty. part of your career. <laughs> oh, it's not plenty of lows, yeah. Oh god. Um, oh wow. How do I pick one? <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's the reality. You know that the, there's one winner in each race, each championship, but. Depending on the size of the grid, you know, 25, 30 people that are disappointed with not winning. Um, So it's inevitable that you're um, not successful most of the time. Um, uh, I I think my year in Formula 3 
where I was teammates with, with Valtteri was, um, although still very good, you know, I came fourth in the championship, he came third. And, uh, you know, to an outsider, it might seem like it was still pretty decent, but I was just relentlessly outqualified by the guy by half, tenth, one tenth, every single time. Um, and that was that was quite difficult to deal with, to be honest. How's that? Um, how's that mentally? Because you you obviously see that a lot in Formula One. You know, Sebastian Vettel's having a bit of bit of a rough time. Mm-hmm, you know, at the moment mm-hmm. uh, against his teammate, and there are plenty others up and down the grid. H- how does that affect your mindset when you're going into a race weekend? I mean, a, a lot. Inevitably, it does affect you a lot, um, and I, I don't know how one one gets over it especially when you're younger without so much experience um inevitably i think i've come to the conclusion you've got to start actually just not caring too much Mm. about the situation as bizarre as it might sound certainly in my formula three days you know i cared about it so much because i thought it was utterly crucial to me or it was utterly crucial simple as that to, to me um getting to to formula one um, but yeah, it just seems like everything revolves around it, you know. Yeah. And, and when you don't outqualify who you know you need to outqualify, race after race after race, and after the first two, three, four races, you can come up with reasons why, and you go right, yeah, no, we've got plenty of races to to put that right and overcome it, and yeah, you get to race nine and race ten in the championship, and it's still the same, and ah, oh, it's so frustrating. So frustrating. Um, and yeah, it, it gets you down, you know. It's, it's, it seems silly when you, are, I guess now when I'm a bit older and you're faced with all sorts of other situations in life, to reflect on that and think that, well, actually being outqualified by your teammate by half a tenth of a second was the meaning of everything to me at one point. Um seems a bit crazy when you now realize all sorts of other massive issues in the world but uh yeah when yeah. that's your life exactly it's all relative when that's your life yeah. and that's that's what's going to mean winning and losing it it is um hugely important and um, any hidden talents no i'm <laughs> very untalented to be honest i'm thankful that i've uh, been able to make it as a racing driver good at quizzes yeah. Wow. Good yeah. I don't think I'm even good at that. I did enough during lockdown with with friends on on Zoom to realise I'm not good at, at quizzes. But uh, <laughs> what, what would you, is there anything you say you're, you know you are a bit crap at at all then? Um, again, most things. Um, oh God, no. They're, they're, I'm I'm pretty rubbish at most things. Um, and I'm vaguely okay at some other sports, but I mean that's about it. You know. <laughs> what, what sports would they be? Well, um, I quite enjoyed. I was, I was football captain actually. Oh, there you go. Um, oh. At prep school for the under thirteen team. <laughs> um, that was that was probably the other sporting highlight. The highlight of, of your career. Yeah. Um, do, do you have a racing hero? A racing hero. Um, I mean, I, I, when I was young, obviously looked up to Schumacher a lot. He was the the guy winning at the time, but I didn't 
know a huge amount um, as to why I saw him as my hero, other than the fact that he was winning and, and seemed to be massively devoted to, to motorsport. Um, I mean, nowadays, I, 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 I have people that I look up to and have taken a lot of advice from, um, but they're more, you know, directly related to, to who I work with and who's sort of been in uh, GT racing and stuff for a long time. I always remember in my early days of GT racing, looking up to Dirk Werner a lot. He was the, the BMW driver that was super experienced and yeah. was, was really friendly and things. But now beyond that, I don't I wouldn't say I've got too much for hero nowadays. Just on the, the Schumacher um, thing, do you, are we going to see, do you think we'll see uh, young Mick in uh, in a Formula One car in the not too distant future. Um, it's got to be possible, hasn't it? I mean, I, I, I don't get too involved in in the world of F one now. Well, I never was involved in it, but um, I followed it a lot more closely. I would guess um, a few years back. I, I don't know. I mean, Mick's done a. a very good job in Formula 3. Seems like he's starting to, to find his feet in Formula 2 now. Um, the, the kid's good, but as I've realised over the years, you know, there's there's a lot of good guys out there um, and only a very small amount that are in the right place, right time, with, with the right contacts uh, that, that do make it to Formula 1. I would guess he's got a few, few things um, pointing in the right direction in, in, in that list um but i'm sure that if he does make it to formula one you know it can't just be because of his name you know he's he's got to yeah. do the the job as well and to me it seems like he's one of the few that are yeah doing the right right things in junior junior categories now before we move on to the final three questions which we ask of all of our guests what's out there left for you to achieve outside of Formula E. So, you know, you, you've just got a new race seat with Mahindra. Um, your immediate future is with them. But are there any championships that you haven't taken part in that you would particularly like to um, in the future, whether it be, I don't know, Extreme E or, um, you know, IndyCar or, 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 or something else? Um, I mean, there are other championships that I think appeal to me purely uh, yeah, purely from a sporting point of view in terms of um, the, the competition that I watch um, when I watch their racing. You know, I'm, it's certainly not down to the, like the engine side of things. Uh, I just, I always feel a bit odd saying if I want to do like Aussie V8s or something, um, it's completely against in terms of what I would like to do from a sustainability point of view and a personal side of things, but purely watching the racing of Aussie V8s, that looks awesome. Um, and I would probably say, well, Rally Cross looks pretty mega as well. Yeah. I mean, I doubt I'll ever get a chance to even sit in one of the cars, let alone do a race. But uh, if we're throwing the pie in the sky and uh, saying anything's possible, then yeah, probably those two. Well, Rally Cross is going to be going electric as well. Right. They are in the, some, yeah, so, um, yeah. I don't know who's going to be doing it and whether there's could at some point be any opportunity for me. We'll see, but um, yeah, that would be cool. Cool, that would be cool. Now we have, as I said, three questions which we ask 
everybody. Charlie, do you want to kick off with the first one? Sure thing. So what has got you excited at the moment? Um, I would uh, probably say that the thing that's most exciting for me, um, I mean, from a personal point of view, it's it's my kids. Most things revolve around them. Um, and so just seeing how they're, they're progressing in life um, is exciting every single day, to be honest, you know, uh, whether it's a swimming lesson or taking my kids to school and seeing what they're doing. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to sound really boring and mundane, but um, I really, really value my, my, my time at home, to be honest. And it's, uh, it's pretty special to me. So, so probably that. That's a, that's a good answer. Do, do the kids realise yet when they trot off to nursery and school that they've, unbeknown to them, have the coolest dad in school because he is a racing driver in Formula E? <laughs> Um, I don't think they do, to be honest. Um, they obviously know that I race and they've come to, to watch some of the races. But uh, whenever I show them anything related to my own racing, they just go, yeah, great, Dad. Yeah, can, we, can you show me some crashes or something? <laughs> yeah. Cool, because you're just boring. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, a bit over the top of their head, I think. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, mind you, um, how old is the oldest one you said was, what, five? Five, yeah. Five, so that he's at that age now where he could almost go karting because Rob Smedley, who we had on a couple of weeks ago, has got his new electric karting series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm going to take my uh, five-year-old down there soon to give him a little run out and see if he's got the got the uh, the beans to see if he can go anywhere mm-hmm. and bankrupt me in the future. Um, so, well, yeah, I would not even dream of taking my son karting at five. <laughs> he just, I don't think have a... An, clue what's happening <laughs> in the would, nicest possible way um, five-year-olds tearing around in uh, electric yeah. go-karts um second question for you um if not doing what you're doing what would you be doing very good question um i remind myself this fairly frequently to make sure that i knuckle down and keep working hard at racing because there isn't a single thing on the list that i'm good at outside of racing um <laughs> Uh, nowadays, honestly, if racing stopped, um, I would would probably look at something within. I, I it goes through my mind whether I'd train as an electrician um, and do something in, involved in in renewable energy and electric cars because I have a reasonable knowledge of that just from being interested in it. To be honest, yeah. um, I help out with a, a small charity who donate. Um, electric car charging points so I know quite a, a reasonable amount in terms of the installation of those and um, what's, the, what's the charity anyone called? listening now uh, that's zero carbon world okay um, cool. we'll drop a, a link in uh, in the in the podcast description oh, thank you very much um, and so yeah something fairly fairly mundane and, and dull compared to racing but yeah that's an interest of mine cool and Charlie over to you for the final question Final question. What are you scared of? Um, what am I scared of? I mean... Spiders? Um, I, I've got better, actually. I used to be very scared of spiders, but I've, I think due to peer pressure from my wife, who is not scared of spiders at all, <laughs> I've had to 
really get a grip over the last few years <laughs> and come to terms that they're actually not scary at all. <laughs> um, so I've got better with spiders. Um, I don't know. There's no, I would say, normal thing that I'm scared of. Um, a huge amount that, that comes to mind. But the biggest thing is going way onto a massively bigger scale. Um, the the impact humans are having on the world, honestly, is something that I'm I'm reminded of pretty frequently that I just do not know how we are going to overcome the situation um, quickly enough. You know, it scares me pretty frequently, actually. Yeah, I, I like that answer. And and you're not the first to say that. We've had one other person say that. And um, interestingly, that was uh, Freddie Hunt. Um, okay. He has a, a big interest in um, sustainability and, and trying to make a difference to the planet. Um, and um, it's, it's a fascinating subject. I, I do a lot of work with brands in and around um, motorsport and Formula E. And it's it's on the tip of everyone's tongue at the moment. Um sustainability becoming carbon neutral decarbonization and all that good stuff um, but like you say it, it you know is it really is it are we doing enough um it's a, it's a it's a huge and an interesting subject absolutely um and i mean all the things that people are doing it's it's great but at the same time you you see so many habitats of animals being destroyed constantly you know we population is expanding at a, a pretty crazy rate still um and at the end of the day still money talks um things companies need to be profitable and at the moment you know sustainability is as popular as it's become i think still is not at the forefront of enough organizations thoughts um to really change things because it, it does frustrate me sometimes, but I totally understand it's the way the world works. But, you know, if, if we wanted to change things immediately to become, um, you know, all, all future energy to be renewable only, you know, it could happen, you know. Okay, it might be a few years of difficulties, but if there was the will for governments to change the way they work, they would make it work. Um, as we've seen with, with coronavirus, massive changes can happen when necessary, but still that's not happened yet on that scale that I think it needs to yeah. um, for, for the environment and, and the world. But um, well, it's, it's, it's going in the right direction. Yeah, so. and, and it's clearly a subject that is close to your heart and, and nice that you have um, a platform now, you know, a high-profile enough platform to actually talk about it and, and try and make a difference in, in your own way. Um, so I, I think that's a very, very good way to finish. Um, uh, it's always a good one to hear um, people's passion points, which and that's clearly one of yours. But listen, um, congratulations on the Mahindra seat. Um, best of luck for season seven. Let's hope we get some fans at a racetrack um, and we see the back of this horrible virus. Um, you're a very humble man, um, a very quick man, and um, let's hope you get more wins under your belt um, in Season 7. All the best, and we'll look forward to seeing you in a paddock soon. And Charlie, thank you for stepping in at the last minute in Harry's absence to join me on the Motormouth podcast. Thank you to both of you, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Tim. It's been a pleasure. 
thanks very much Cheers, thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast do make sure you give us a follow on our socials Twitter at Motormouth underscore Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and on Facebook just search Motormouth you can download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV create your own social profile and interact with others and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the Motormouth podcast podcast.